Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. We've got a solid show, a little bit of a multifaceted show. We've been stuck on one topic per episode here recently, so we're going to switch things up today. We're going to hit a few different things. But before we get into that, Paul, how's it going today now? Uh, no, it's going well. You know, I'm I'm excited for this week's show. I think I'm definitely going to start off by saying um, when Sam said to just spam my email, you should never take anything Sam says seriously. Always email both of us. <laughs> Always. Thank you for listening to me because, you know, it was it was really great. Paul would forward me your nice emails, which were very nice. And I would get to read them and enjoy that. And then he would have the responsibility of actually responding to most of them. So, Which uh, I still have to do. I, I, I've responded to half, I, I responded to the first wave of emails. I'm happy to report that a second wave of emails happened over the last two or three days. <laughs> um, and uh, I would say especially yesterday and today. And I haven't had a chance to, to respond to those emails that I received yesterday and today. Um, but I, I do want to start with a thank you to everyone that did write because, I mean, we had fans from New England, Columbus, Chicago, D.C., Red Bull, New York, Cincinnati, Portland, Dallas, and even USL fans from Louisville, Indy 11, um, all over Tampa um, that reached out via DM, that reached out via email. Um, like I said, I've been able to respond to some of you. I haven't been able to respond to all of you. And I, in fact, the second wave of people, Sam hasn't yet had the honor of reading your emails. He will after we record the <laughs> show. Um, but it's been really cool to be able to read your input on our episode, um, to hear what you're experiencing in your markets. And, um, and I think it, you know, definitely keeps, um, keeps our wheels spinning regarding this topic and, and, um, you know, introduces some, some ideas for us as we report about the leagues. For sure. Um, so thank you to everyone who reached out. I, I actually got a note on this from an MLS PR director at a certain club who who shall remain unnamed, um, basically saying that, you know, he's trying to uh, get that attitude inside of his own club right now. And it's a team that has struggled with that sort of thing over the years. So um, I think positive on that note. Thank you for the emails. Enough kind of email talk, though. Let's do a little bit of a rundown for today's show. So we're going to talk. We, we spoke about this about a month ago on the show about... MLS and being a selling league. I wrote a story on that that just came out here today on Thursday, um, kind of on the progress. So we're going to dive in there a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about the situation going on out in, out in San Jose, where the wheels have completely fallen off the earthquakes bus. Uh, they keep getting blown out game after game. Um, and then we'll talk about some impressions now that it's been about a month, a little over a month um, since MLS is back, is back, or MLS still here. What, what did we decide we were going to call it? MLS still here um, has resumed. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some observations in that. But first, selling league. So as anyone who's listened to this show for a while knows, um, Paul and I are regular, regularly bring up uh, the fact that Don Garber, MLS commissioner, said before MLS Cup in 2018 that MLS needed to become more of a quote-unquote selling league. Um, and he was right. You know, uh, the league did not transfer players in any meaningful form or fashion prior to that comment. I went back and counted, and by my count, uh, there were 36 players sold from MLS teams to foreign clubs in the eight transfer windows preceding his comment. There have been four transfer windows since. Uh, we're still kind of in one, as a matter of fact. 
uh, in terms of European teams. So three and 0.75, if you want to call it that, 3.9. Um, and there have been 35 transfers of MLS players to foreign clubs. And that number does not include Brendan Aronson, who looks set to be joining RB Salzburg, Red Bull Salzburg, uh, here imminently, um, according to a report from MLS Soccer's Tom Bogert. So, essentially, MLS has doubled the rate at which it has sold players uh, to foreign teams, which is legitimately good progress. Uh, I think we're often pretty... uh, We can get pretty negative about MLS on this show. (laughs) Um, But this is, I think, something that the league should be proud of and that they have done pretty well in a relatively short amount of time. But I'm curious, Paul, your thoughts on, on that progress. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, you know... We did get one email saying that that episode had more hope than others. So, we're trying to be a little <laughs> bit more positive. Though, I would say that, you know, for the progress that's been made with MLS, still a long way to go, right? They still have a lot more to do in order to kind of hit the rates of of normal integrated leagues within the global market. And certainly for leagues with the level of play that MLS has. Um, I read an interesting story uh, today, actually, in the New York Times by Rory Smith about James going to Everton. And in that story, he talks about how really in the world of global football, there's um, a group of pretty much five or six superpower teams, then, you know, not counting outside of England and then the top six in England. And everyone else is moving toward being a club where you look to buy young talent and then sell that talent to those bigger clubs. And by doing so, you can be a team that competes for Champions League. And that goes for teams like Monaco and Ajax, who we think as being clubs that traditionally are kind of trampoline clubs that 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 develop and sell. I or love buy that and phrase, sell. by the way. Um, trampoline I, club. Well, I took it from your article, so no mutton. It's not surprised it's, that you it's, like it. I didn't. I didn't invent it. To be clear, I just really enjoy it. But, <laughs> but um, you know, also Tottenham, right? I think this. You know, Spurs typically weren't. I, I don't think are in that upper echelon of the of the British clubs, the, the Premier League clubs, and um, have been able to compete uh, in these cycles by doing those things, by finding younger talent, developing them getting them at the beginning of their peak and then eventually selling them, which creates this kind of cyclical, you know, upsides and then downsides. Um, But I think it's worth noting that because MLS, by being a selling league, it's not differentiating itself from the rest of the world. It's not a negative. It's becoming more like the rest of the world. And so it is encouraging to see more sales. And I think for me, and this will be my last point, Sam, you know, what I took away from your article is what's important is to note how some of these sales are happening and what some of those players um, look like. So homegrown young domestic talent being sold with the potential for, you know, future sales impacting the price. And that's an important moment for MLS, right? Absolutely. And I'm going to get into that first in a, in a second here, but I want to pull it back first. I think when people think about selling players and MLS teams selling players, who do you think about? Miguel Almiron and Alfonso Davies, right? And those two two of the biggest fees in league history, um, two of the best players, I think, you know, different levels. Miguel Almiron was one of the best, most impactful, best players in league history. Davies was maybe the best young player in league history. Um, and both have gone on uh, different degrees of success 
right? Davies has become the best left back in the world, plays for the Champions League winners. Uh, and Almiron has been a little bit inconsistent at Newcastle, but had some good moments for sure. Um, those two guys are outliers. That's not the kind of player that MLS is going to be selling all the time if it's going to become a selling league. The kind of player that it's going to be selling a lot is a guy like Brendan Aronson or a guy like Reggie Cannon, um, who moved from Dallas to Portuguese club Boa Vista a few weeks ago. And I spoke with Cannon's agent, Chris Megalutis, uh, for this story that I wrote on The Athletic. Um, and he kind of broke down how, how that sale came to be and kind of what it means for MLS in the context of becoming a selling league. And basically, his overall take, which I pretty much agree with, I think, is that it's not always about putting a player in the Premier League or putting a player at a good Bundesliga club or a big-time league un club in, in France, right? Um, that's great. That's a nice little ending to a successful, homegrown, in this case, player story. Um, but it's not always realistic, and it's not always good for the player, but it's not always realistic. Those teams aren't always checking for MLS guys, and teams have been turned off by that. And Megalutis mentioned how Dallas was initially hoping to have that kind of sexier sale, right, to a club in a big five league, um, a club that people know about, that people have heard of. And then, you know, Boa Vista wasn't, wasn't what anyone was dreaming of, Cannon included, when this process started. But they had to sort of adjust, right? And they had to get creative because the other part with Boa Vista, they don't have the financial wherewithal or financial means of some of these big five clubs, right? So Dallas had a valuation on Cannon. Boa Vista wasn't willing to meet that valuation. And Dallas said, okay, his contract is structured that we need to sell him this summer. Um, you're not meeting our price, but I think we can still work something out. Basically, what Dallas ended up doing is they sold 50% of Cannon's rights for about $2 million. Um, there are triggers in that that could get Boa Vista 25% more for an additional $1.5 million, roughly. Um, and then if he sold on, if that trigger is hit, Dallas would get 25% of the fee. If that trigger isn't hit and Boa Vista doesn't exercise their right to the further 25%, they would get 50% of a transfer fee. And basically, you know, pulling back again here, and I know I'm rambling on, I'll stop in a second, I swear. Um, but pulling back again here, that's Dallas saying, okay, we this isn't the sexy sale that we dreamed of, right? This isn't the five, six million dollar sale that we would have wanted, but we're financially protected on the back end by that sell-on clause. And it's a good spot for Cannon in terms of a landing point. He can go to Boa Vista and be a starter right away. And if he does well there, right, then it's a lot easier for him to get that sale to a big five league from Portugal than it is from MLS. And that's because there's a little bit of a perception gap here. And Paul, you talk about that perception gap. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we talk about it on this show a lot, right? The idea of what the level of MLS actually is versus the way it's perceived around the world. And that perception gap is changing. We know it's changing because we know that clubs are paying more attention to talent coming out of the United States, not just at the MLS level, right? At the academy level, especially. If you look at some of the biggest names in Europe right now, those Americans were developed in the academies here in the United States, but very few of them played in Major League Soccer. And so there is a belief that there is talent in the U.S., um, but the problem is, you know, there's not as much of a faith that those players can be developed 
professionally by major league clubs. So Christian Pulisic, Josh Sargent, Weston McKenney, Chris Richards, Gio Reyna, all five of them come out of the U.S. Development Academy. Some of them, Richards, McKenney with FC Dallas, um, Gio Reyna with NYCFC, Josh Sargent, St. Louis, Scott Gallagher, Christian Pulisic was uh, PA Classics. Not all of them MLS, some of them were, but all of them came from the U.S. None of them played professionally. Tyler Adams is the exception, right? Tyler Adams came up through the Red Bull system, played in the USL, went to MLS, and then was <laughs> sold on within the Red Bull system. And so in order to start to prove that there are more Alfonso Davies out there, more Tyler Adams out there, you need to see more of these sales occur. You need Reggie Cannon to go and be successful at Bull Vista and move to Lille or move somewhere else from there and be successful. You need, you know, the DeAndre Yedlins, who, yes, he's on his way out at Newcastle, but had some success in the Premier League for several years, became a, a starter. But Yedlin's actually League. a good example, though, of how the thinking needs to be adjusted, right? Because he went to Tottenham after the 2014 World Cup. And I know you just kind of crapped on Spurs a little bit earlier, Paul, saying they're not one of the big English clubs. But they are a big club, Champions League contenders most years, right? And just made a Champions League final, not not two years ago. Um, and he wasn't ready for that leap as a 2021-year-old 20, uh, who had played a few games at the World Cup in a season and a half, two seasons for the Seattle Sounders. He wasn't ready. And he wasn't going to develop that way at Spurs, who at the time, I believe, had Kyle Walker, Trippier, and Kyle Naughton at right back. So he was their fourth right back. That's not a situation you want to walk into if you're looking to develop. Right. But it is it is what MLS kind of wanted at that time. It's a nice, sexy sale. It's a good thing to point to and say, look, we're moving our players to some of the biggest clubs in the world. Isn't that impressive? Right. Um, so this is kind of illustrative of, of the change in thinking that is starting to happen six years after that Yedlin sale. Starting to happen in some places, maybe not yeah, so not much everywhere. in others. It's, but it's, it's, it's the change of it needs to happen. Right. Correct. And I think, you know, again, you know, these are the moments, the learning moments of a league that is still trying to adapt to a market and to a, a sport where they've really isolated themselves. You know, they created this bubble around MLS intentionally, intentionally to keep prices mm -hmm. down on their players, to keep costs low within the league. And now that they want to start to benefit from being a part of the global market, which they should do. And they should yeah. be able to benefit from. They need more. They need to make more money, and this is a way to do it. They're oh, able there, to. There's Lyle. Lyle agrees. Yeah, <laughs> we we need Lyle's approval. He's this is not his first appearance on allocation disorder. Lyle Sam's dog, by the way, everyone. Um, <laughs> no, I, I just think that that we we need to see a, an attitude shift happening at the club level and certainly at the league level as well. And part of that is empowering and give and giving more freedom to these clubs to make these decisions because. In a move like DeAndre Yedlin, the league headquarters is involved. Um, and, and more and more now we're seeing the clubs empowered to do moves that fit their clubs as well. Um, you know, Chris Durkin's another example. You know, DC United valued him quite high. And as a result, it took a long time for Durkin to be sold. Eventually, he was sold to St. Truden in Belgium um, for more than a million dollars, which, by the way, I thought was a pretty darn good sale for a player who wasn't getting consistent playing time under Ben Olsen at DC United. Um, but a lot of people felt it had talent. Like those sales are important and, and they can pay off in the long term as well. You know, so we should look at this Reggie Cannon sale 
and say, you know, this is a positive move for Dallas. This is a positive move for Reggie Cannon. And it's a positive sign for Major League Soccer that a club like Dallas is starting to recognize that in order to truly be a developmental club, in order to truly be about homegrown players and their academy players, a big chunk of that, and maybe the biggest part of that, is selling the players. Yeah, 100%. And I, and I think the Aronson deal, although we don't know the particulars of it in the way that we know the particulars of the Cannon deal, I'm guessing it'll probably be along similar lines as, as Cannons. And again, it's not a big league, right? You're going to Austria, but that is an excellent landing spot, right? Salzburg sells players to some of the biggest clubs in the world. Erling Haaland. For for one example, right, one of the maybe the best center forward in the world besides Lewandowski right now, um, like pretty good player, pretty good landing spot, American coach, a league where he can go in and play immediately, yada yada yada. Well, I would say um, also, Sam, quickly. I mean, I wrote when I wrote about Aronson in Philadelphia and their attitude towards this, I went into Red Bull Salzburg a lot because of Ernst Tanner's experience there and the shift that they went through. We talked about it on the show again. Same idea. You know, they've gone yeah. from selling a few players for a few million dollars to selling multiple players in windows for eight-figure fees. It's the best trampoline going right now. It really is Salzburg. one of the best. It's it's one yeah. of the top five in the world. And, and so, for MLS teams to place players in clubs and in leagues like that is a good thing. And it requires a little bit of creativity and a little bit of an adjustment of thinking, right? It's not the sexy move that maybe we're all dreaming of to a Premier League or La Liga or Bundesliga team or whatever. Um, but if MLS is going to start selling like players in real volume, like real volume, those are the moves that are going to have to happen a lot more frequently. Because like I said, Davies and Almiron, those types of deals are outliers. And I would note, I mean, I spoke to a scout from a uh, a well thought of high high level club in Europe, and the Vancouver Whitecaps. He was talking about scouting the league. There are it's a different level of player that those teams are looking for. So it's going to be rare for those clubs to want to sign a player for Major League Soccer. So you can't bank on it. And and when they do, when these clubs sign those players. Even then, it's very rare still to have those players play at those clubs. Matt Miazga was Matt sold Miazga, to Chelsea. Remember him? Hasn't yeah. you know played two games? I think first team games. Right when he went to Chelsea, has been on loan like that. since. You know the rare Zach Steppen by, by notes. Anyway, doesn't he, matter. No, he's been on loan. He's been on loan all over the place. He's at I think Reading was last year. I think he's trying to go back to Reading this year. Um, you know Zach Steffen. The fact that he's been called back into Manchester City squad. It's kind of, you know, I don't want to say surprising, but it's it's a a faster track than most players sold from this league to a club of that stature. That's why everyone is surprised. And, and Zach Steffen isn't going to be the starter as long as Ederson is there. Like, let's be let's be honest, right? Like, not no shade on Zach Steffen, but if he wants to be a full-time player, which he will, and probably which he does, he'll need to leave there eventually. Right. But what's important is is for fans and especially for people at the league to stop worrying about the stature of the club, the name of the club, the recognition of the club, and, and start looking at where some of the best places are to put your players to be in a position to, to develop and then go to those bigger clubs and then move on to those bigger sales. 
you know, Weston McKinney is a great example, going to Schalke and then making the jump to Juve. Already a pretty big club, although right. maybe right. not so much anymore. But <laughs> certainly one of the bigger clubs in, in terms of attendance and history and all of that. But, you know, it wasn't, it's not a top, 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 top club. But he was able to develop, be seen in a high level at the Bundesliga, and move on. I mean, that's even, you know, a big club to a huge club. Brian Strauss, I think, put it that way. Um, I had, had a yeah. very creative lead about, you know, size of boats, which was spot on. But, like, you know, <laughs> that's an example of understanding the way that that this works, the way you hope it works. Yeah, yeah. No, 100%. So, it's going to be interesting to see how it progresses with MLS. There are some moves that are being made by the league to encourage this kind of behavior. You know, um, changing the cut of transfer fees that they take for non-homegrown players from 75% or, excuse me, from 25% to 5% certainly helps encourage teams to sell players. Um, you know, this under-22 initiative, Young Money, uh, that whole thing is designed expressly to sell players, to buy and sell players for profit. Um, and there are, you know, academy investment is part of this too, playing young players, um, which we've seen a slight uptick in terms of percentage of overall minutes uh, this year. Paul, I know you're you're talking to people and, and working on a story about that too. Um, I'm sure the congestion uh, in terms of the schedule helps with that. Um, but there are more guys that'll probably follow Aronson and Cannon before too long. When you look at, you know, from homegrowns, when you think about Mark McKenzie, um, or Jesus Ferreira or Paxton Pomacall who's injured in Dallas or even Cole Bassett or Gianluca Busio in Colorado and Kansas City. And then you think about, you know, the, the young money, although they're not classified as that because that rule doesn't exist yet, but that type of guy, right? Diego Rossi, um, Brian Rodriguez, um, probably a few others that I'm not thinking of around the league. Um, there are more candidates to go in the relatively near future. There are still ways that MLS, you know, can tweak things to even encourage this more. Right, I know the way that transfer fees are, are converted into allocation money or allowed to be converted into allocation money is something of a sticking point. Um, and, and there are some, a few other a few other ways that that MLS could improve in this regard as well. Um, but I think on the whole, it's it's pretty solid progress. It's not breakneck. It's not something that's like catching like wildfire, but it is real, um, and it should I think continue on in this direction. No doubt. Hey everybody, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, interrupting for just a moment to let you know that this episode of Allocation Disorder is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon are the makers of healthy cereal that tastes too good to be true. It is gluten-free, grain-free, high-protein, low-carb, but with natural flavors and zero sugar. Miracle cereal, miracle breakfast. You can order from their variety pack. You can choose individual flavors like fruity, cinnamon, frosted, many other ones. Uh, and looking at them, they also look a bit like the children's cereals that we remember eating growing up. You might still remember eating or your kids might eat. And maybe you don't love that. Maybe you don't love that like frosted flakes are emphasizing frosted. Fruit Loops are emphasizing sugar and then also a little bit of fruit. Whereas with Magic Spoon, you're getting healthy options that do still sort of look like kids' cereals. They've got the bright packaging, so if you want to sort of go the sneaky route, you can do that because Magic Spoon cereals have zero sugar, as I said, but also 11 grams of protein, only three net grams of carbs, so they are healthy alternatives to breakfast cereals for both you and your kids. You can have breakfast together and still feel productive and healthy. Go to magicspoon.com slash TSS to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code TSS at checkout to get free shipping, and Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. Product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. 
So that means if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash TSS and use the code TSS for free shipping. Thank you very much to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode of Allocation Disorder and the Total Soccer Show. Now back to Paul and Sam discussing the San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, they've got a lot to break down. I think with that, we'll, we'll transition from an encouraging direction to a uh, not-so-encouraging direction. And of course, I'm referring to the San Jose Earthquakes, who lost on Wednesday night to the Colorado Rapids, five nothing. Um, this comes after losing seven to one to the Seattle Sounders about two weeks ago, I think, and another huge defeat to LAFC mixed in there. They cannot buy a result. They keep getting waxed. I want to say they're—I I don't have the numbers in front of me exactly, but I believe they're o five and three with a minus. 21 goal difference since the bubble in Orlando where they kind of became the darlings of MLS. Um, They can't stop a nosebleed right now in terms of the other team's attack. And you have, you have Chris Wondolowski out here saying things like they're mentally weak. You know, you have Matias Almeida kind of, well, he skipped a press conference after one of those huge defeats um, because of a big headache. And the GM had to go out there and talk Jesse Fiorinelli. Um, you have him saying things like, this is really a moment that I've never experienced before. I have some of the blame for not finding the way, but there's something very real. We're the only team that's played every three days. This team, I've said this many times before, not just tonight, but if we don't train, they can't correct. And that goes, I'm not sure that they're the only team that's played every three days. A lot of teams have done that. Um, but, uh, he does have a little bit of a point in my opinion, but before we get there, Paul, what's, what's kind of your overall take on the situation in San Jose? Cause it does, it does not seem tenable at all. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a few things that I take away from it. First of all, you know, I think it, it pops the bubble a little bit that was created last year when San Jose played really well for a stretch under Almeida. Um, and everyone was talking about Almeida as MLS coach of the year. And he was this darling in the kind of MLS media circle. And he's a good coach. And I, and I, I get the love for him because the roster he inherited in San Jose was awful. Awful. Let's not forget that. It finished dead it was last, last place roster. Dead yeah. last the year before. And he was getting results. Now, they, they finished the season terribly. They missed the playoffs and everyone kind of skipped over that part of the season because it was easier to latch on the, to the positive narrative. And I'll, I'll tell well, you, and I, they, they did I, improve. They did improve sure. by 20 something points. And, and I wrote year, about so. the positive narrative going into this season. I spoke to the players in San Jose. I spoke to Nick Lima and I spoke to Chris Wondolowski about the positive vibes in the locker room and the belief in Matias Almeida and his staff and, um, they really seemed to enjoy each other and enjoy being around each other. There was a really positive vibe when you spoke to people in San Jose about, and I spoke to, um, Jesse Fiorinelli as well at the beginning of the season. Um, and that's all collapsed. And I think it's, it's exposed the fact that that roster still is not good enough. And they needed to get to the end of the season because they, they had signed so many bad players on bad contracts that they still had some some contracts they had to get out from under that were running through this year. Now, they've made some changes. They've signed some decent players, but it wasn't enough to really create a competitive roster top to bottom, right, with the depth that you would need and especially the depth you need during this type of season where you have ridiculous schedule congestion 
And when you're playing a system that Almeida plays that requires a ton of running, it's going to take its toll. The same way we saw Red Bulls fall apart every playoffs because they they had been running and pressing and going a thousand miles an hour in the entire season. Um, I think there is some parallels there, Sam, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think they're getting exposed because of the nature of this season, right? It worked for a while in Orlando, um, despite the quick turnarounds, because the guys were still fresh, right? They hadn't had the miles in the early part of the season because of the COVID-19 suspension. And now they're in this cycle where they can't train, really, because they're playing every three days. It's just play a game, recover, get on a plane, come back, recover, maybe a light session here or there. So there's not much time to work on stuff. And you're playing so many matches in such a short amount of time, your legs are going to get tired. I don't care how fit you are. You don't have enough time and your legs are going to get tired. And the man-marking system that they play, I mean, a lot of these goals, Paul, we were talking before the show about the one that Jordan Morris scored in, in that beatdown in Seattle. I think it was the first goal the Sounders scored in that match. And he received the ball basically at midfield, turned his man, who was, I believe, Florian Youngworth, center back, and just ran all the way to the goal. No one stepped to him, and he was able to slot home pretty easily. But as soon as you turn that first man, Jordan Morris is a fast player. He's faster than Flo Youngworth. It was off, right? Game over. Everyone else is manned up. Everyone else is doing man marking. No one steps quick enough. And you see a lot of that with San Jose, where a guy just makes one turn and all bets are off. It's just like, it's just like, it, it's a fire, right? And, and they're, they're scrambling to put it out. And, and they're getting turned more often because they're arriving a little bit late, right? And when they do get turned, they can't recover. Yeah. Because they, they just don't have the legs anymore. And Almeida has a quote um, that he gave last night. He's And, and I, I buy into this. This isn't, you know, to excuse him. But he says, there's a reality with thinner rosters. We suffer in terms of soccer physically because there are many injuries. And I can assure you, because I played football, it's impossible to recover for three days and play for points in 90 minutes. Those who have deeper squads can change their starting 11 and play with fewer youngsters. We're playing youngsters at this time, and that gives me sadness. Right, and all these are translated, so um, there might be a few things that get lost or jumbled there. But you know, they just don't have the roster really to fit these tactics to begin with, and they don't have the depth to be able to rotate so that they can feel the fresh eleven that they need on short rest, time after time after time. And I think it's worth noting that when you put young players out on the field that are trying to learn this system on the fly—I don't want to say on the fly, but at a professional level in the environment of a game situation where the pressure is ramped up and and you start to lose momentum in games you know the game turns against you when you give up one goal then two goals I mean when you talk about coaches talk about watching Matias Almeida's system up close and you're talking about some really synchronized movements defensively of when one forward leaves his man to go press higher man to man the the fullback is leaving his space and making a 30-yard sprint to get to the midfield to man mark that man that's now open. And that needs to be timed right because if that fullback gets there late and that player turns and now they're running past the fullback and into space, now you've got numbers up and you've got space everywhere and the, the center backs are man marking and they have to make a decision about when they leave their man and that leaves a pass open. And all, it's all everything's just gone down. Right. And so when you don't have time to train those things, and you're going deeper into the roster with younger, less experienced players, 
and they're getting tired uh, and they're being played game after game after game, this is the toll you see. And I think typically what happens in these situations, frankly, is that coaches change their systems. They they bunker in. They do what what Yapstam did in Cincinnati after one game. He said, "Forget about this. We're we're playing." You know, we're playing in our own box, you know, 10, 10 men yeah. dropping deep, playing behind the ball. And Almeida's not doing that. He's saying this is not a system problem. This is not a system problem. I'm not changing my system. And we're not used to seeing that. That conviction, I think, in a coach, even in the most dire of circumstances. And from my perspective, and this is do you, not... Do you think that works? No, I mean... My perspective on this, now this is not sourcing or anything. This is where I get into like the podcast mode of my opinion. But I think it lays bare a little bit the the flaws of the club, right? I think he's saying, look, we don't have the talent and I'll show you because I put the players I have out there and you hired me to run this system. Here's what happens when I'm trying to run my system with guys who aren't good enough with a roster that's not good enough. And if you want to blame me for it, go right ahead but it's your guys that you signed. And that's my take. It kind he of played a role in some, some of these signings, sure. by the way, since he arrived, you know, he, he played a big role in some of those signings, but your point is well taken. Paul, this club is a joke. I'll say it. They don't do anything. John Fisher. He's the owner, the managing owner. They don't spend any money on that team. They don't spend any money on marketing that team. Their Academy is no good. They have nothing going on. Almeida is the was, I guess, the only real feather in the cap out there, except for you know. I'm not not speaking of the players necessarily. Like Chris Wondolowski has had an amazing career, and they've largely wasted it, by the way. Um, and, and some other players on that team have have been really solid players for many years, right? So no shade to them. But this is an ownership group that doesn't seem to care. You never hear from them. Um, Jesse Fiorinelli, the GM, he hasn't been all that impressive since he came over from Europe a few years ago. And just signed a contract um, extension the, last year. Just signed a contract extension last year, but he hired Mikhail Stare, who was a disaster and fired after one year, right? He, he fired Dom Kinnear and got Stare and changed everything up. Um, he also got Almeida, which I think was a big surprise. <laughs> no one was really expecting a move of that nature. Um, but San Jose, I mean, I think the best way for me to put it is, is, you know, Paul, we'll have these conversations sometimes on the phone and I'll have it with, with sources and executives at clubs around the league. And you, you kind of joke about, oh, who's the worst club? Who's the best club? And San Jose in that discussion consistently get forgotten. They don't even, they don't even exist in the headspace of people who live and breathe this stuff every single day. Right, you you hear other teams thrown out all the time, right? Vancouver are going through it, right? So they get mentioned. Cincinnati gets mentioned. Um, San Orlando Jose gets for forgotten. a long time. Orlando yeah. for a long time. San Jose gets forgotten, and I'm not sure there's a bigger indictment of that organization than that 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 their own peers, the people who pay attention to this stuff professionally, are just straight up forgetting about them. I mean, I don't, like I don't even really know what else I can add there. Um, I've been meaning to write about this for a long time because I don't know what the goal is. What's the goal for their ownership? They don't seem to be, they don't seem to care about winning. They don't seem to care about building a fan base. I don't really know what they're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, it's the ultimate irrelevance. And, um, and I think, you know, that, that, 
again, these results are shining a spotlight on it. Like, I am considering that Matias yeah. Almeida is an evil genius. I mean, he's a genius, I think, because it's spot. It's saying, <laughs> look. That's, uh, that's awfully generous. <laughs> he's like, look, look at what we have. Look at what we have, you know? It's a, it's certainly a good way for him to spin things right now. Um, you know, I think he's not being exactly very practical by continuing to use these tactics. Um, but Sam, I come mean, on, stop it. This is a hundred percent the way you would coach your team in the same situation. You would not change your tactics. Is, is you would it? be like, it's not me. It's not me. It's you. That's what he's I doing. I mean, well, come out and say it then, Matthias. Be explicit with it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pull any punches. People know who you are. No one knows who Jesse Freer and Ellie is. You can do it. You have the power. Um, anyway, that situation is a mess. It's gonna like, do you think, do you think he sticks it out for the season? Do you think he, he leaves after the year? Do you think he's back next year? I can tell you for sure that there's going to be interest around the rest of the, uh, around this region in Matias Almeida. Um, he doesn't have to worry about what his results are right now with San Jose to get a job in Mexico no. or in Argentina or in MLS for that matter. Yeah. Atlanta has a head coaching up. He would not fit in Atlanta. <laughs> that would be that'd be just even worse than what we're seeing in San Jose. But uh, it'd be fun, though. I mean, the Red Bulls talk about a pressing team, unique, dem- physically demanding tactics. Doesn't look like they're going that route. But it would be interesting. You are right. I don't know if he sticks it out. Like he says, he's not going anywhere. But like this sort of feels to me like a situation where there might be a divorce coming pretty soon. I don't know. Yeah, it's only a matter of time till we see a tweet from like Tom Marshall or or Herc Gomez or something being like, "Oh, like Miguel Herrera yeah, on the outs at a Club America." Felipe Cardenas uh, hears yeah. something on Argentine radio, perhaps. <laughs> um, no Felipe doubt. loves Argentine sports radio; it's fantastic. Um, I know he's listening too, so shout out to Felipe. <laughs> anyway, moving on from San Jose, we don't need to get too bogged down in the morass of the earthquakes um mls has been going again outside of the bubble for almost a month now uh the columbus crew are in first place doing pretty well all across the board um and paul i know you wanted to say a few nice things about what's going on in ohio well i think it's just unfortunate for columbus because the season is very difficult to judge right it's not it's always going to have an asterisk next to it in the history books of Major League Soccer, every team is playing different opponents, the same teams over and over and over again. Ten teams in the East are going to get into the playoffs. It's like, it, I mean, let's be honest. It's kind of a joke. Now, it's not Major League Soccer's <laughs> fault. I don't blame no, MLS, no. right? COVID is happening. Cir- the circumstances are under. You're doing what you can to have a competition, and you have to do that to survive, and you have to do that to give the fans what they want and that's how you're getting people on the field it's totally understandable but it's still a joke it's still like not a true competition in the sense of like these are the best teams these are not the best teams except for it's very clear that columbus is the best team in the league right now and it, they're they're not going to benefit from that like there is no. i mean not that like we all blow up the supporter shield winners because we don't but they're fun to watch they play good soccer um, you know, Caleb Porter, two years into his build, has has a pretty good team together. Like that would be a story that we would normally be telling, and I think we may be telling soon. But you know, it's harder to tell that story now. It's harder to and and that is a club, by the way, similarly to like how Chicago 
couldn't really sell its return to the city. They were going to have 50,000 people in Soldier Field, and that was stolen from them by this COVID situation. And that was an important moment for the rebirth of the fire. Like Columbus is going to be, is trying to, you know, still in that save the crew moment, right? They're building a new stadium. They're trying to reinvigorate a city and a fan base behind this club and Bezbachenko, Tim Bezbachenko, the hometown kid going back to his hometown to, to save the crew. And, and Darlington Nagby, Darlington Nagby going back home, best, you know, American midfielder in MLS. And he's playing really well. He was playing really well, you know, and they lose all of that. And so I just wanted to give a shout out because I watched them play last night. I watched them play a couple of weeks, I guess not a couple of weeks ago, a week ago or so against the Chicago Fire. They're just fun to watch. They play good soccer. They've got good players. Um, a lot of their goals are really pretty goals. And I just think that it's unfortunate for them that it's happening in this season and we kind of lose the normal momentum that they would have from it. And the credit is due to Tim Bezbachenko to Caleb Porter. And I mean, even frankly, I mean, I don't think they inherited a bad roster from Greg Berhalter, they, but they've, I think they've made it better. And it, that doesn't always happen when you have a regime change. 100%. Um, credit to ownership too, for making that, making them be able to make that roster better with guys like Lucas Zellerayon um, and upping the salaries for Giassi's artists and, and Darlington Nagy. Um, all of that stuff you said is true, Paul. I echo all of it. I also ask, how dare you? How dare you, Paul Tenorio? You're giving shine to a good team that hasn't had a lot of national love and you're not giving that shine to Orlando City? Your hometown squad? (laughs) How dare you? What do you have to say for yourself? I'm like, I have a Chris Mueller stan account on Twitter that no one knows I run. I'm like the shadow author of a of a chris mueller stan account i'm, yeah, I'm you and ben bear i'm very close to making one on daryl dk too just i'm just gonna pump out orlando city stan accounts <laughs> that roster hasn't changed all that much either by the way from last year um and oscar pereja has them humming uh seven wins two losses four draws 25 points uh second in the east tied for second with philadelphia and toronto um second in the league overall so as long as we're throwing out props, I'll give some props to Orlando. Philly deserved that love as well. Um, you know, two clubs that don't have the biggest budgets in the world, uh, but are both playing some good soccer and doing things the right way. Quickly, it, those three clubs that we noted, I think there's one, uh, two because of Nani. There's two big name DPs, big money DPs. So I think we should also give props to the idea of of roster building on those three teams. They've done a nice job with limited budgets, putting together really strong rosters. And actually, yeah, I mean, you look at some of the guys that they've signed, that they found on TAM money, you know, it goes across, it goes across all three of them have had multiple regimes putting those rosters together. Um, and they've all done a nice job of building on small budgets, finding good, good deals at low prices. Guys like Arter, you know that that aren't yeah. heralded. Casper, uh, the friendly striker. Casper, <laughs> the friendly Robin Robin Jansen, Jansen. Yeah, do we? Yeah, you know? the list goes on, right? Um, so yeah, credits all of those teams. Um, I'm gonna stop being nice and I'm gonna start getting real here. Um, Chicharito, what is going on out in LA? The Galaxy lost again last night. Uh, I'm going to read some stats. 
going to stall for a second while I pull up those stats on my phone. Um, but Chicharito, he has played six games this season. Galaxy have four losses and two draws in those six games. Two goals for in those six games and eight goals against. And they've been shut out four times. One goal for him in 419 minutes on the season. In six games without Chicharito on the field. Galaxy are 4-1-1 one, one with 14 goals for. That's a huge discrepancy, right? We've seen Christian Pavon play really well, um, mostly when Chicharito has not been on the field. Um, and he comes on, and for whatever reason, I don't know if it's him clogging things up. I don't know if it's just coincidence. Uh, I don't know if it's a little bit of both. Um, the Galaxy cannot figure it out. That was a signing that I was super high on before the season. You know, he was the white whale for LA and for MLS, this guy that everyone wanted. I thought he would come in and get good service and score 15, 20 goals, no problem. Um, It has not been like that. He has been injured. He's only played six games. That's not exactly a large sample size, but it's been wildly disappointing (laughs) um, so far, to say the least. Um, And of course, you know, all the benefits in terms of attention and fan support that he might be able to pull in are very much muted by COVID and, and everything going on around that. So that's an interesting one to watch going forward. Um, but yeah, to get back to what you said, Paul, about this season and it kind of being, uh, you know, a joke, I think as harsh connotations, right. And you need to, it's no one's fault, but it's just really hard to like evaluate this year, right. With all the circumstances going on, um, we're going to try and do our best to put things in perspective, but it's going to be, I'm going to be very interested to see how teams do that evaluation after the season is over and who gets rewarded with a nice contract, who doesn't get rewarded with a nice contract, what coaches get fired, what coaches get hired, right? GMs, which ones come and go, um, all of that stuff. Because every single person that's being evaluated can have a nice handy excuse, right? Of this season was a mess. Look at all the stuff we had to deal with, Right. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, I should I think say, and those I, are the observations I have. What do you got? Oh, I just wanted to say, I probably, I probably angered anyone who was listening, probably hung, you know, turned off the podcast when I, when I said it's a joke. It's okay. Everyone's because, turned it off by now. And because, you know, guys like, I make that joke. Guy, a guy like Chris Harmis, Chris Harmis um, was fired, you know? So for, right. for the coaches, for the players, for the GMs, it's probably not a joke, right? Their jobs are on the line. Not Their at livelihoods. All. It's not a joke in that sense. What I'm saying is it's a joke in the terms of like being able – a joke, again, is too harsh. But it's it's very difficult to gauge this season against other seasons and to be able to talk about how good X team is compared to Atlanta a couple years ago or Toronto you know, or Seattle or LAFC or any of the other teams that we've talked about before. Um, and it's the, – the schedule and all, It's it's just very difficult to – to call it kind of a legitimate competition in in comparison to those seasons. But the stakes are still very real in professional sports. And we've seen that this year already, like I said, with a coach being fired. And I think we'll continue to see it, you know. Um, And so, yeah, joke a little bit harsh, but my point stands. It's a very (laughs) – We get it. We get uh, it. You didn't mean it. It wasn't like that. Apologies Um, to those who who I've offended. Um, I'm sure everyone outside of Orlando accepts your apology. If, and those if, in Orlando if I've should offended, not accept it. If I've offended anyone with that, please email Sam Stasekul, sstasekul at theathletic.com. Thank you. Good luck spelling that, everyone listening. 
Um, ha ha ha. Anyway, thanks for listening. This has been Allocation Disorder. As always, Sam Stayskull. Shout out to Paul Tenorio for joining and humoring me on this edition of the show. Uh, until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.